You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. Maybe if we can just uh, get the lights up too so I can see everybody here. And uh, you can, so you can see their Bibles. But uh, we're really thankful for you to be here this morning. And uh, as a church, uh, we have been studying the book of Genesis. And as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we're, we've been seeing that um, there's this garden theme. Uh, as, so this, we, this uh, Easter, we thought, you know, let's, let's continue that theme. Because as we look at Easter, there are... Uh, two gardens, uh, a garden of Gethsemane, which we're going to be looking at today, and then there's the garden tomb, uh, which we'll be looking at on Sunday. But as we look at uh, this creation, as we remember the original garden, we've seen it was a, a perfect place. Uh, the, God had created this earth in, in, in such grandeur and splendor, perfection, and the garden of Eden was a place of perfection and, and, as, uh, and provision. Until that day, until the serpent came into the garden, and as he's in the garden, there is this temptation. There is one tree that the Lord has said not to eat from. If they eat from it, God has said, there will be death. But they listen to the serpent rather than God. And as such, instead of blessings on this earth, since that day, there have been cursings. There has been death. There has been a need for a Savior to come. And as we've been learning in Genesis, there was a promise in Genesis 3.15 that there would be one who would come who would defeat Satan, who would stomp the head of Satan. And as we've been going through the scriptures, we've been waiting for that one. Who will he be? Well, his name is Jesus Christ. And we see him in the garden this morning as well. Uh, Noah. When he uh, had planted a vineyard and drank of the wine, there was, again, sin and shame. Again and again in the garden, we've seen people fail. What will happen with Jesus as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? There is a real temptation for Jesus to change the plan, Jesus being fully God and fully man. As he enters the Garden of Gethsemane, he feels the weight of what is to come And he's asking, if it be possible, can this cup be removed from him? How will he endure the trial? This is what we want to look at this morning. And as we do so, we'll be reminded of our own failures, of our own sinfulness, and at the same time be reminded of how faithful, how good is our God. And so before we go uh, any further, let me just pray for us that the Lord would help us in this time together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. This morning, as we consider the Garden of Gethsemane, God, we will all see ourselves in the disciples, men who may have had good intentions and yet they failed. Lord, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, Jesus... You came and you were faithful. Even in the midst of this temptation, this trial, Lord, you remain faithful 
And because of that, this morning we have hope today. We have joy today because of the victory that was won in the garden. God, we pray this morning that if there be anyone here who does not know the truth of what is happening on this day, that, God, you would open their eyes to see that though they be great sinners, Lord, you are a great Savior. Lord, for those of us who are your children already, God, I pray, Lord, that these words would hit anew. Lord, that we would be in awe as we always ought to be, in awe of you, our great Savior. And that, Lord, we would leave this place worshiping you as King of kings and Lord of lords. That, Lord, we would have renewed thankfulness and gratefulness for all that you've done for us as we remember these things. And so, God, would you lead us? Would you help this preacher to preach your word in a way that would pierce our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hands. Uh, the ushers would be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. If you're here visiting with us, you don't have a Bible at home, just keep the one they're giving to you. We want everyone to be able to look down at the words that we're going to be studying this morning. And we're going to find them in Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. Mark 14, 32 to 42. If you want to turn there, we're going to read it together before we get into it. Mark 14, beginning in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very he heavy, <clears throat> and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Once again, there is a battle in the garden. Satan is on the attack. Not long before they had went to the garden, Jesus had said this to Simon Peter in Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In Matthew 26, 35, we see that the other disciples said the same thing. They all said that they were willing to suffer for Christ. They would, they would even die for him. They would go to prison for him. They thought... They were in a good place. They knew their hearts. They, know that they knew their desires. They, they knew what they what longed to do for the Lord, but they failed. They failed in three different ways. First, they failed to be watchful. 
We've seen in the text that they failed to be watchful. They, they, after the Passover meal, they made their way down into the Kidron Valley. And as they came to this place called Gethsemane, which means olive press, uh, they, 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 were, they go into the garden. And Jesus has eight of the disciples. Now there's 11. We know that Judas is off somewhere else right now, getting ready to betray Christ. But eight of them stay outside. But Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him deeper into the garden. In his hour of trial, Jesus wanted his three closest disciples with him. And it says again in the text, verse 33, Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. This is his instruction to Peter, James, and John. Remain here and watch. The Lord had warned them that earlier that, that the betrayal was coming, and so he urges them to watch. As we've already pointed out, all three of these have said that they are willing to suffer, they are willing to die, even to drink the cup that Jesus was about to drink. And now it's their time to take action. Now it's time for them to, to, to put action to their words. They said they would be there for Christ. He asked for their support and staying close and keeping awake while he prays. Brooks says this, watch means to be spiritually alert. More specifically, it refers to being alert against temptation of indifference. Could also carry the idea of sharing the agony of Jesus. Be alert, be watchful. This, the, the, the hour of temptation is at hand. Keep your eyes open. It's interesting on this night of Passover, you read in Exodus 12 that, that it's called the night of watching. And on this Passover night, Jesus is calling his disciples to be alert, to be watchful. When we see what Jesus was going through, it is shocking to see just how indifferent his disciples were. It says that Jesus went just, just a stone's throw away is what we're told in another gospel. They're not, they can see what's going on with Jesus. They, they see him fall to the ground. And we read in another gospel that, that he's in so much stress that he's sweating blood. This is what's going on in Jesus, and yet they fall asleep. They're not watchful. They're not alert. They're sleeping while the Lord Jesus is crying out to the Father in great distress. Verse 37, after Jesus has prayed, it says, He came and found them sleeping, and he said to, said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus finds them all sleeping. Simon, are you asleep? He addresses the one that is usually the most vocal. He, uh, we see in the instruction in verse 38 that he's saying it to all of them. This is what they need to be doing. But he addresses him as Simon, not Peter. And there is no sense in which Peter is the rock here. He is back to his former flesh. Could you not watch for one hour? It's, it's like Jesus saying, I'm not asking for much. I'm just asking you to, to stay here with me and, and support me and be alongside me, but, but you cannot even stay awake for one hour. You said you would die for me. You said you would go to prison for me, and here you are sleeping. 
Jesus is showing them that even though their intentions may be to stand with the Lord, they're failing to do what they said they would do. Peter and the others have no idea what this hour is bringing and how ill-equipped they are to stand strong. If they're going to win the battle, then Jesus is telling them they must pray. This is their only hope of following through on what they said they would do. They have to pray. In their own flesh, they are weak and they will fail. And so they must pray. This is uh, Jesus' instruction to them. While Jesus is aware what is at stake, the disciples seem to be oblivious of just how dangerous spiritually things are at this point. If they truly understood, they would be on their knees too, praying and crying out to the Lord. Edward says this, the admonition to watch and pray for the spirit is willing but the body is weak is a necessary reminder that trusting and obeying God are not default responses of disciples of Jesus, but ongoing struggles against temptation and weakness. Watch and pray. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, this is what God calls all of us to do even today. Watch and pray. Jesus Christ is going to return one day soon. And we read that he says that we need to be ready, we need to be watchful, that we need to be spiritually alert, we need to be doing the things he's asked us to do so that when he returns that we will not be found asleep. And the only way that you and I can do that is to be a prayerful people. We must cry out to him on a daily basis. We are the disciples. We are those who are spiritually asleep if we are left to ourselves. May we see that anew this morning. God, be merciful to us. God, help us. We are weak, but you are strong. Lord, in our flesh, we would fail every time. But Lord, you've given us your spirit. You've given us our word. Lord, help us to cling to you each and every day that we might be faithful to you. Well, the disciples failed. They failed to be prayerful. They failed to be watchful. And then they failed to be faithful. We see in verse 40, and he again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Jesus returns a second time and again, he finds them sleeping. It's really hard to fathom. You would think the embarrassment the first time would have kind of woke them up, right? You know, it's, it's, it's bad enough to fall asleep the first time, and you, you could be thinking, okay, well, you know, they really messed up, but now they're going to wake up. They're going to hey, let's stand up. That's what we'll do. We'll stand up. And, we, we, you know, Jesus has asked us to pray. Let's, let's start praying, guys. But in, get, instead, they're asleep, and they, guess what? They don't know what to answer him. What are you going to say? Well, we just thought your plan was a bad idea, Jesus, and we thought our plan was better to just sleep. Like, how would that have gone over? And yet, how many times can we relate to what's going on here? Right? Knowing the things we ought to do, but not doing them. And if somebody were to confront you and say, hey, why are you not doing these things? You'd be like, yeah, I know. What are you going to say? You know you should be doing them. This is a situation the disciples find themselves in. It's interesting that Jesus keeps coming back to them. As I was kind of considering, like, why? Why does he keep coming back? I think two reasons. One, he really desires their support. He he desires them to come alongside them and encourage him. And yet every time, they're asleep. 
And I think also Jesus is the great shepherd. He's going to them to, because he knows if they do not pray, if they do not cry out to the Lord, they will fail. And so even in his greatest hour of trial, he's showing himself to be the faithful shepherd. The disciples have no idea what's going on. It says that their eyes were very heavy. We can understand that. It was probably around midnight, they thought, at this time. It's, they've been emotionally spent. It's been, a, it's been a crazy week in Jerusalem. They've seen so many different things in Jerusalem that week. They've had the Passover meal, which if you were at us with us for the Seder meal, we know that was four glasses of wine, right? And so wine doesn't make you awake, right? It, and so so there's, there's physical reasons we can see why they're sleeping, but they ought to be not, not, not giving in to that in the flesh because there is literally a roaring lion seeking to whom they may, he may devour in the garden. There is that old serpent in the garden. There, 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 is, there is danger that they cannot see. And so they should be on their knees crying out to the Father, but instead they're sleeping. Well, surely, surely, kids, kids, after two times, do you think maybe they're going to stay awake? Well, it says in verse 41, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Three times he's found them sleeping. And by now, the time to be ready, the time to fight, it's over. They've missed their opportunity to cry out to the Lord for help, to, to be on their knees, to understand how spiritually weak they are. And instead, now they will fail. They have chosen to coddle the flesh instead of to fight in the hour that they had. Jesus' words show hurt and disappointment. Once again, humanity has failed. The disciples had failed to do what the Lord had asked them to do in the garden, just as Adam and Eve had done. Their sin of omission, not doing what they should have done, resulted in the same kind of failure that the, of the sin of commission, the, the, Adam and Eve had done what they should not. As they leave the garden, Jesus and his disciples will go in opposite directions as a result of what they did in the garden. Because they did not pray, because they were not ready, they will flee. They will fail to be there for the Lord. Peter will take off the one who said he would follow Jesus. He will try to follow from a distance, but before the night is done, he will deny Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would. Why did this happen? Because they failed to do what Jesus asked them to do. Garland said, the only way we can, be, we can ready ourselves to bear up under pressure is through fervent prayer which turns our attention to Jesus. This is how he won in the garden. This is how he won the battle. First, he succeeded in being watchful. He succeeded in being watchful. Jesus knew what was going on. It says that he, as we go back to verse 33, that he was greatly distressed and troubled. His soul was so sorrowful that even to the point of death, Jesus knew the hour. He knew what was going on. To be greatly distressed and troubled, there's, some have translated this horror and anguish overwhelm him. While the disciples were asleep at the wheel, Jesus very much was aware of what was happening and what would take place in the hours to come. 
Jesus feels the weight of the hour. He is to be betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, and mocked, and crucified. All of this would cause us to be sorrowful to the point of death. But for Jesus, this is not that all that is taking place. He must literally go through hell on our behalf. The wrath of God will be poured out on Christ while he hangs upon the cross as God places the sins of the disciples who are asleep in the garden upon Christ. He will place the sins of my, my sins and your sins upon Christ. He will place the sins of all who will place their trust in him on Jesus Christ. The sins of billions of people are put on Christ. And then the wrath of God is placed on Christ. This is the horror which he is facing, ultimately to be forsaken by the Father. Matthew says this, all history hinged on this hour, and it is utterly terrifying. Jesus must decide, will he turn to protect his own skin and soul, or will he stay the course and embrace his Father's perfect and painful will? He must face the death to self that comes before the death at Calvary. Never has a soul been in such anguish. Never has a human been so undeserving of death. Never has alone, never has alone else faced such horror. To be made sin on behalf of others. Jesus' battle was unique. Adam and Eve, they were told not to eat a piece of fruit in the garden. Now face, look what Jesus is facing. He's been asked to suffer in the place of billions of people to take their eternal punishment. In the garden, Jesus must surrender to the will of the Father if the cross is to become a reality. The battle is real. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And he's seeking a way out of this predicament. He's agonizing what is to come. The prospect of what he is about to suffer made him so sorrowful that he was sorrowful to the point of death. Such great anxiety that he sweat blood. He gives voice to his agony as he prays. While the, Je while the disciples slept, Jesus was battling in prayer. This is the second thing we see. He succeeded in being prayerful. And going on a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This, this posture of prayer was not normal. To, to be on his knees before the, before, on the ground before the Lord was not the normal posture. The normal posture was to stand with hands outreached. But Jesus is feeling the weight of what is to come, and he is down on his face before the Father, and he's crying out in lament. He's asking that if it's possible that this hour, that this, this, this pain, this suffering, this, this curse that's going to come upon him might pass from him. Is there a way? I, I, I don't want this to happen. This is, is there another way for this to take place? He cries out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup far from me, not yet not what I will, but what you will. He's crying out to Abba, Father. And Jesus the Son has an intimate relationship with Jesus the Father. 
He's recognizing his, his power. All things are possible for you. There's nothing that God can't do. And so he's, he's giving it all to him. Is there another way that, that I could not take the cup? And this battle is real. The, 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 the everything, eternity is at stake as he's in the garden. Sometimes we, we just think, well, he was God, and so it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. And all the, all the gospels are making it clear that the anguish and the pain that he's going through as he cries out, remove this cup from me. But he alone could take it. The writer of Hebrews, uh, talking about these prayers, he says in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Lord, is there a way? Yet not what I will, but what you will. How different is this prayer than our prayer so often? We pray that our will would be done, not God's will. We pray, God, my will, not your will. Every time in the garden, that's what's happened. The, the disciples are just the latest case of saying, my will be done, not your will be done. But Jesus says, Father, your will be done. Sweet comments that Jesus' human soul shrank from the cross, and that fact adds to the sense of the greatness of his sacrifice. As we see Jesus struggle in the garden, we see just how great of a sacrifice he made on, be on behalf of sinners like you and I. The cost was immense. The, to the torture that Jesus went through as he submitted to the will of the Father versus his flesh was great. But as we see in the lament psalms, as he cries out to the Father, as he gets his eyes on the Father, he resigns himself to the will of God the Father. And as a result of that, he will walk in perfect obedience, which brings us to the last point. He succeeded in being faithful. By the time Jesus is finished praying, he is ready to face the cross. The battle in the garden has been won through prayer as the son has cried out to the father. Satan has lost the battle to get Jesus to live for himself. Jesus will give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus leaves the garden victorious. For the first time in a garden scene, man has not rebelled against God, but instead submitted to the will of the Father. And because of that, there is hope for every single person here this morning. Do we understand just how great a victory this was in the garden? Every one of us would have failed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus, the perfect Son of God, won the battle in the garden. The temptation was real, but he won. And as a result of that, he gives himself over to the hours that would then come. At the end of these verses, we see this. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer as at hand. Judas has arrived to, to greet Jesus with a kiss, while at the same time handing Jesus over to a crowd with swords and clubs, that they might take Jesus to the chief priests and elders and the scribes. 
As the mock trial goes on, as they bore false testimony against Jesus, he remains silent until the high priest says this, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. While Jesus knew the hour of horror was coming upon him, he looked past that and seen what the end result would be that he would soon be sitting right back at his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. They continue to accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and they mock him, and they spit upon him, and they beat him. Then they hand him over to Pilate so that he might be crucified. Thinking about what Jesus went through in the garden, the strength that God the Father gave him to complete the task, we see that Pilate was amazed at Jesus as all these accusations come against him. He sees that he's innocent, but because of the pressure of the people, he hands them over. Jesus is scourged and beaten, and then he is hung upon a cross. Jesus then takes my sin and your sin upon himself. And the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then breathing his last breath, he says, it is finished. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. How did he do it? How did he continue to stay faithful through all of that? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus trusted the will of the Father. He gave himself over in perfect obedience to the Father, knowing that his ways are higher than our ways knowing that his good plan would bring about the salvation of people like you and I. Edward says this, Gethsemane is the prelude to Calvary. For in a valley beneath the city, Jesus allows his soul to be crucified. On a hill above the city, he relinquishes his body. Do you know that to be true this morning? The things that we've spoken about this morning. Do you know Jesus? Not just know about Jesus, but do you know him? Could you this morning cry out as God, as Jesus said to the Father, Abba, Father. Do you know him in that intimate way? Have you been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ's sacrifice? It's not enough to just say, I, I know about Jesus. It's not enough to attend an Easter service and, and think that somehow that will get us into heaven. We must place our hope and trust in him. The whole plan was thought up by the Lord long before creation was ever came. He knew that you and I would sin against him. But it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, 
There's some faces here I don't know. But I do know this, you are a sinner in need of a savior. All of us have fallen short of what God requires us. Just one sin requires an eternal punishment. And you can choose to take that for yourself or you can give it to Jesus and say, I believe that I am a sinner, but I also believe that Jesus, you are a great savior. And that on that day, as you hung upon the cross, you paid for my sin. And in turn, you've given me your righteousness so that I might be reconciled to God the Father. I believe. I pray that everyone here this morning can say that. If you've never repented of your sin, then now is the time. Do not wait. Do not think that you have more time to do so. Because the hour is coming when Jesus will return and we need to be ready. Believers this morning, I pray that your hearts have been encouraged as we've been reminded of the fact that Jesus was faithful. As you and I have failed in the garden, as Adam and Eve had failed in the garden, as Noah had failed in the garden, as the disciples had failed in the garden, we've all failed, but Jesus has not failed. He has won the battle. And so we have hope this morning. I pray that you've been encouraged. I pray that you've been strengthened. And now we want to remember that sacrifice through the Lord's Supper. But before we do, let me just pray for us. Lord God, we're so thankful for your forgiveness. Lord, as we think about the anguish that Jesus went through in the garden, Lord, it, it makes our hearts heavy. Lord, we know all that he went through was because of our own sin. None of us deserved it. But out of your love, because of your grace and your mercy, Jesus came. He won the battle in the garden. And as a result of that, Lord, we have hope today. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. That the payment that Christ made was once and for all. That whoever would believe in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you for, for dying for sinners like us. Thank you for life eternal. Thank you that as a result of your payment, we now can know you. Not just know about you, but know you in an intimate way. Thank you that you are our Abba Father. Thank you for your love. Lord, would you help us to be faithful as Jesus was faithful. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.